In this lecture, we're finally going to finish fighting. No fighting. Um, what I'd like to do in the last three, well, at least last two, two of the last three lectures, is talk about the basis upon which Machen fought. So he fought. We saw how he, he became a fighter. We saw maybe various family, cultural, historical contexts that would explain Machen's capacity for fighting, the effect of the world of World War One, what he saw in the destruction at the front in France, various considerations we've seen, various controversies that ran between 1920 and 1936. And I still think it's remarkable that anyone would want to subject or that that anyone did subject themselves to that kind of controversy. The way I have explained this sometimes, I've tried to explain it to students, perhaps, the way I can make sense of it in my own historical imagination, is when I was ordained as an elder in the Christian Reformed Church in 1990, the church was then debating women's, women in office. And at the Synod of 1990, I was uh, hoping that the church would avoid ordaining women. And... Um, some conservatives stepped up and made speeches that allowed the church to ordain women, and I was quite discouraged coming back after that. And I didn't really want to go to church the next Sunday in the local congregation, even though no one there was at, at synod. So for Machen to have endured those kinds of disappointments for 16 years is just extraordinary, in my estimation. Um, and you know, his critics would say, well, that he, he had to be crazy in order to do that. Okay. There are different views of Machen. We'll talk about that in, in the last lecture. But today, I want to talk about the Bible as one of the bases upon which Machen fought. And of course, this makes sense because Machen is a biblical scholar, so he knows a lot, at least about the New Testament, but also because Protestantism claims the Bible. As, as its bedrock. This is sola scriptura. This is just a part of being a Protestant, especially Presbyterians, in the way that Presbyterians developed the doctrine of Scripture. Chapter 1 of the Confession of Faith is a, um, a great statement of the doctrine of Scripture, actually. Very subtle and nuanced in its understanding of the import, the authority, the nature of God's revelation in Scripture. So, <clears throat> the Bible was a big part of it, and part of what made the Bible important, or part of what Machen saw in the Bible that made it so important for his arguments in opposing liberalism and, and much more, was the importance of history. I think this has come up in some ways in previous talks, previous lectures, but he did emphasize a lot the factual or historical basis of Christianity, which some people would say is a little too scientific, a little too literal at times, but he explained it, I think, pretty well in, in 1925 when he wrote for uh, the New York Times during the Scopes trial. They asked him, as I mentioned earlier, they were going to have two columns, one written by a scientist, one by so-called fundamentalist. The scientist was going to say what evolution stands for now. Machen was supposed to write on what fundamentalism stands for now. 
And this is part of what he wrote in the New York Times. This historic continuity of the Christian religion is based upon its appeal to a body of facts. Facts about God, about man, about the way in which, at a definite point in the world's history, some 1900 years ago, a new relationship was set up between God and man by the work of Jesus Christ. There is one advantage about facts. They stay put. If a thing really happened, it can never possibly made by the passage of time or by the advance of science into a thing that has not happened. New facts may be discovered, and certainly we Christians welcome the discovery of new facts with all our heart. But old facts, if they really be facts, will remain facts beyond the end of time. The sheer factual basis of the Christian religion is denied by a large body of persons in the modern church. Indeed, at this point, we find what is really perhaps the most fundamental divergence in the religious world at the present day. More fundamental than differences of opinion about this truth or that is the difference of opinion about truth as such. Historic Christianity maintains that the Christian religion is based upon a body of truth, a body of doctrine, which will remain true beyond the end of time. Pragmatism maintains that doctrine is merely the necessarily changing expression of an inner experience. So again, this comes back to other themes we've mentioned before, but religion is not an ineffable experience. Religion, in that sense, can't be the basis, or Christianity can't participate in a, in a program like the the modern missions movement that's going to try to find a common religious impulse in all the world's religions and Christians can participate in improvement of society in that way. No, Christianity stands out because of some things that really happened in history and the doctrines of Christianity are tied to those real events in history. Um, and in contrast, you, I would argue that liberals consistently fudged the facts. <clears throat> we tend to think of liberals are people who outright deny the virgin birth or outright deny the deity of Christ or outright deny the truth of the Bible. We tend to attribute to all people with whom we disagree bad motives or bad intentions. <clears throat> but even though liberals ended up denying many of the truths of the Bible, they did so in order to save Christianity. Liberalism, I've tried to say many times, needs to be seen, first of all, as an apologetic strategy. But this is also how Machen saw liberalism and how he defined it. It is the denial of any entrance of the creative power of God, as distinguished from the ordinary course of nature, in connection with the origin of Christianity. In other words, Christianity depends upon a divine and therefore supernatural intervention of God into the world. It could be by performing miracles directly that can't be seen, the hands orchestrating those miracles, or it's especially seen, though, in, in Christ and what Christ did and accomplished by performing miracles, but also by submitting to death, rising again from the dead, ascending into heaven, not to mention his origin in the world as through virgin birth. So it's this is the power, the vitality, the uniqueness of Christianity that it depends on this 
view of God intervening in the world to save sinners. And once you deny that supernatural character of Christianity, you have, in effect, denied Christianity, which is, again, why Machen was so upset with liberalism and why he wrote Christianity and liberalism, that they were two entirely different religions. <clears throat> so Machen sees history and the gospel as really almost interchangeable uh, in the sense that the gospel is based in history and history is integral to understanding the gospel. But you see this in especially uh, in his book on the virgin birth. Um, this was a book that came out in 1930 of all times when Machen had been through some serious battles at Princeton, especially in founding Westminster in 1929. But the virgin, the virgin birth of Christ came out in uh, 1930. I thought I had a copy of, of it here. I do elsewhere. It's a big book. It's, it, someone would say it's his magnum opus. One of his very first articles that he published in 1906 as a student, um, maybe was a lecturer at Princeton, was on the virgin birth of Christ. He had written about the virgin birth as a, as a graduate student at Princeton. Um, it is something he had been working on for over 20 years. And this was, in many respects, a, a book widely regarded as a masterpiece. It was well received by liberals and conservatives in, in the reviews. And he had pretty modest conclusions in this book. This was not a book written to show why liberals were wrong to deny the uh, virgin birth of Christ or to not to affirm it. As much as the virgin birth of Christ was part of the Presbyterian controversy, Machen's work on the virgin birth preceded it by at least two decades. This was simply, he was writing on a, scholarly, a topic of scholarly interest. He had three modest conclusions. One, that the virgin birth was not a late addition, but actually had an early place in the first and third Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke. And so therefore, it was clearly taught by the earliest Christians, not a late addition, to somehow make Jesus into something more special, more divine than he already was. Second conclusion was the origins of teaching and belief about the virgin birth were not in Judaism or misunderstood prophecies. This was something authentic to Christianity itself. He also argued, thirdly, that the virgin birth did not reflect pagan beliefs about children begotten by gods. So he was trying to defend the uniqueness of the virgin birth, that it came from genuine Christian sources, was associated with the earliest Christian beliefs. <clears throat> so all of the evidence, he wrote, points in the direction of Christ being born without a human father. Machen recognized that this was hard to believe, but he said it was not hard to believe once you considered who Jesus was. This was the main question then. What should we think of Christ? If you view Jesus against the backdrop of sin and man's need for a Savior, and that he was the eternal Son of God, and that he came to bear the sins of the world, 
then you would have very little trouble accepting the virgin birth. It made sense of all of that story about who Jesus was and what he came to do. Machen wrote, The story of the virgin birth will hardly indeed be accepted when it is taken apart from the rest, but when taken in connection with the rest, it adds to, as well as receives from, the convincing quality of the other things about Jesus which the New Testament tells. <clears throat> so it's not merely a question of, of the authority of the Bible. It's not merely a question of miracles, his, historicity of the Bible. It's a question of who Jesus was and what he came to do. And the virgin birth makes particular sense of that need, of human beings' need for a Savior. <clears throat> so he goes on to write in this book, What is the modern religion that is founded upon a Bible? whose authority is altogether in the sphere of inspiration and not at all in the sphere of external fact. It is not a religion whose fundamental tenet is the ability of man to save himself. Is it not, I should say, a, a religion whose fundamental tenet is the ability of man to save himself. Give us the moral and spiritual values of the Christian religion, it is said, Give us the inspiration of the teaching example of Jesus, <clears throat> and we have all that is needed for our souls. Not for us is there any need of dependence upon the question of what happened or did not happen in the external world 1,900 years ago. What care we have about how Jesus entered into the world. However that may be, his teaching stirs our souls and leads us out into a larger life. This was the way liberals viewed Jesus and therefore had very little need for the virgin birth of Christ. <clears throat> Jesus could provide spiritual, uplift, moral, ideal, and model without the virgin birth. <clears throat> but if you have a Jesus who is the Son of God, if you have a Jesus who enters the world to save sinners, to bear... The, the burden of sin upon himself to take away the sins of the world, then you need a Jesus who had to come into the world in an extraordinary way. Therefore, the virgin birth is very much a part of the redemptive character of Christianity. It is, it is interesting to see in the conclusion of the virgin birth that Machen is very cautious about saying that people who won't affirm the virgin birth aren't Christian or aren't um, worthy in the church in some way. He doesn't think they should be in uh, official capacity. They shouldn't be in ministerial offices or elders. But he does say that it, there is room for doubt in the church, and these people need to be regarded well and try to make room for them and create an environment in which they can work out some of their dilemmas. He understands it's a very difficult thing to affirm in a scientific age. And yet, he does think it really is an, a basic part of Jesus Christ and understanding what Jesus Christ meant, what he came to do. So that's one side of the Bible for Machen, that it teaches facts. And those facts are bound up with God's intervention into the world. <clears throat> But the Bible also taught doctrine. And it was here 
that you see uh, Machen's biblical scholarship point toward his um, study of Paul and his first book, The Origin of Paul's Religion. Um, the Origin of Paul's Religion, published in 1921. It was based on lectures he gave at Union Seminary Richmond. Don't confuse Union Seminary Richmond with Union Seminary New York City. Union Seminary Richmond was a Southern Presbyterian institution. <clears throat> Machen was lined up to give those lectures even before he went off to World War I to serve in France with the YMCA. He was actually quite somewhat nervous about giving those lectures in 1921, even as he was in Paris, going to museums, going to plays after the war, spending a little time having some fun, as was his tendency, before he returned to the United States and had to really uh, become very diligent about preparing these lectures on Paul. Again, it was a, it was a book of, of scholarship, and a number of the... Uh, intriguing aspects of the book have to do, on the one hand, in the introduction, Machen makes a point that it wasn't clear in Jesus' teaching how the Gentiles were to be received in the church. And of course, this is a great debate, even in the book of Acts, with the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15. How are these Jewish believers who have become Christians, how are they going to incorporate the Gentiles? How much of the Old Testament law, customs, regulations are going to be brought over into the church? And Machen makes the point that Paul really sort of works it out. Of course, he would believe in the inspiration by the Holy Spirit, etc., but that really it's Paul who lays out the terms by which to include Christians in the church which makes Paul a very big deal in the early church, and in fact would explain why so much of the New Testament corpus is written by Paul. So Paul is a very important figure for understanding the early church and how it was going to incorporate both the Jewish people who had converted to Jesus, but also the, the, the Gentile converts. But it also, this also raises another question that Machen was very much intrigued by in this book, which is whether Paul, by virtue of his laying out the ways in which Gentiles came into the church, was Paul, as some liberal scholars claim, the second founder of, Jesus, of Christianity. You have Jesus as the first founder, and then Paul comes along and makes adjustments to what Christ did. So that makes Paul the second founder of <clears throat> Christianity, and Machen rejects that idea, sees and argues for great continuity between, between what Jesus taught, what the Gospels revealed, and what Paul was also teaching in his epistles. <clears throat> but also it's intriguing or important to see that Machen finds the basis for his views of tolerance and intolerance, the importance of doctrine in Paul. For instance, on the matter of dogmatism and intolerance, uh, Machen detected, excuse me, that in the case of the Philippines, Paul was remarkably tolerant. Paul writes there in, to the Philippians and acknowledges that rival preachers were coming to town and competing with Paul. And they were, he, 
Paul says they were preaching the gospel out of jealousy and envy. <clears throat> and in, in Machen's words, these rival preachers made of the preaching of the gospel a means to the gratification of low personal ambition. And Machen adds, it seems to have been about as mean a, biz a piece of business as could well be conceived. But what was Paul's response to these rival preachers? Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preach, preached, and therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So there's an example of Paul's toleration, of his Paul's moderation, as long as the right things are being preached, even if for bad motives. But when it came to the Galatians, Paul was not so tolerant. Of course, this is where he uses the word anathema. And this is where Paul is preaching against the Judaizers in Galatia, who want to add certain elements of Old Testament faith and devotion onto the Christian religion. And this is where Paul writes, Galatians 1.8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed or let him be anathema. So then Machen raises this question, why was Paul uh, generous with the Philippians but intolerant with the Galatians? <clears throat> was he being inconsistent? Machen argues, no, his opposition was based altogether upon the falsity of their teaching. This is in the case of Galatians and the Judaizers there. They were substituting for the one true gospel, a false gospel, which was no gospel at all. It never occurred to Paul that a gospel might be true for one man and not for another. Paul was convinced of the objective truth of the gospel message, and devotion to that truth was the great passion of his life. Christianity for Paul was not only a life, but also a doctrine, and logically, the doctrine came first. So Machen's regard from, for doctrine and his insistence upon the doctrinal character of Christianity came very much from his early study of Paul. <clears throat> but he also raised the question, did Jesus teach doctrine, or was this just something that Paul did? Machen said, no, Jesus did in fact teach doctrine just like Paul did. He quotes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus regarded the coming of the kingdom as dependent on a specific event. He didn't merely teach general principles of religion, but proclaimed an event just like Paul, an event still coming, but of an event just the same. Jesus was, in Machen's words, conscious of standing at a turning point of the ages, when what had never been was about to come to be. So that meant that Jesus also was proclaiming an event, but also teaching doctrine, because doctrine is the interpretation of the event. Of the event. And here Machen went to Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and is to give his life as a ransom for many. He also saw in Jesus a messianic consciousness that Jesus made claims about himself, about the Messiah, about the Messiah's work in the world that again indicated something of the historic nature of this, but also was if indicative of the doctrinal character of what was happening. 
So this led Machen to see that it was impossible to escape doctrine in the New Testament. In fact, throughout the Bible, life or experience follows from doctrine, not the other way around. Machen liked to talk about the third question and answer of the Shorter Catechism. What do the scriptures, scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is believed concerning God and what duty God requires of man. This catechism puts truth before conduct, doctrine before life. It makes the foundation of conduct and doctrine <clears throat> the foundation of life. So everywhere in the Bible, he wrote, first doctrine, then life. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation gives not a bit of comfort to the skeptical notion that doctrine is the mere changing and symbolic expression of Christian experience. The Bible founds living everywhere squarely upon truth. So Machen used the Bible, his understanding of the Bible, his biblical studies, to emphasize these two important features of the Bible, history and doctrine, and he used those to critique liberalism because liberalism was squishy about history. History was difficult because history of the Bible and Jesus in particular was filled with supernatural events that science made impossible to understand or to affirm. So Machen said, no, you can't do that. You will lose Christianity if you take away that supernatural element. But also he saw them denying doctrine, seeing that doctrine was unimportant to the kind of work the church was called to do in the world to make the world a better place. And Machen said, no, you can't lose sight of doctrine because that doctrine is based upon what happened in the world, the way God intervened to save human beings. So you can't separate morality from doctrine. You can't separate morality from history the way liberals were trying to do. So I will conclude then with... Um, how Machen wrote about the importance of history and doctrine at the end of the virgin birth of Christ. He writes there, the Bible is a record of facts. Of what avail, without the redeeming acts of God, are all the lofty ideals of psalmists and prophets, all the teaching and example of Jesus? In themselves, they can bring us nothing but despair. We Christians are interested not merely in what God commands, but also in what God did. The Christian religion is couched not merely in the imperative mood, but also in a triumphant indicative. Our salvation depends squarely upon history. The Bible contains that history. And unless that history is true, the authority of the Bible is gone. And we who have put our trust in the Bible are without hope.